0: Welcome to the Grow Dan Grow Show. Join co-hosts Dave and Riley as they educate and inspire cannabis cultivators from across the globe with an entertaining show featuring some of the biggest names in the industry. From growing solutions and best practices to the latest trends and common misconceptions, learn how you can grow more with less from seed through harvest. This is the Grow Dan Grow Show podcast powered by Grow Dan.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Grow and Grow Show. I am your host on the West Coast, Dave, and with me, as always, or for the last three episodes at least, is <laughs> is my man Riley Jones on the other side of the continent. What's up, Riley? How's it going? Super excited, dude. You know, it's uh, it's been good getting out here and have, we had a great interview uh, with Chad McCoy. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, we'll get to him in a second, but you know, it's just been uh, the podcast has just been been really um, you know going going really well. I guess. I would say, you know, uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, you know, we we are uh, the Grow Show uh, by Grodan, so we're talking about Grodan here. If you guys don't know what Grodan is, well, then I don't know why you're on the podcast, you know. But uh, we, <laughs> you know, but maybe figuring it out. So Grodan, we are the uh, we're the makers of Stonewall. We pretty much hold the gold standard of at, at the Stonewall grow medium. Uh, and this podcast, we're talking about growing in uh, Grodan Stonewall. We're talking about growing cannabis, so. We're gonna have you know throughout the the episodes and the seasons. We're gonna have different growers on, different uh, you know people, consultants, people in the industry who are just gonna be hopefully a good resource, very insightful, very uh, uh, you know bring a lot of good education knowledge. That it, whether you're a beginner or you're you know a pro, you're gonna take, hopefully take away some kind of nugget or some kind of piece of advice that you can maybe take back to your cultivation and
2: use it. We gotta get rid of that uh, miscommunication out there. There's so much like uh, you're right, you know. Fake, <laughs> fake theories, fake thoughts. are yeah, just false truths. Yeah, we just need to change that all up, and and uh, and really, we'll you know come from the source. Um, and this, this podcast really uh, was born.
1: At least here, yeah, you're getting it from the source. You know, from Grodan. We're going to tell you what's up. If it's not relevant to Grodan, then we're probably not going to talk about it. But um, this week we have an amazing guest. On uh, his name's Chad McCoy. He's based out of Carson City. You know, he's a Tahoe guy. We kind of get into that a little bit on the podcast, but. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he runs a, his cultivation is called the Real McCoy. So he is Chad McCoy. Some people call him Cheddar. Uh, he's been around, uh, you know, the the moto world and snowboard ski mountain world for a long time. Uh, he's got a great story. I'm super excited to get into it. You know, uh, Riley had a chance to meet him, and uh, and don't you think so, man? He's just a super solid guy with good good direction.
2: Just oh, just a great dude. Uh, like he just he has you know he's a great storyteller, which is awesome, so he'll tell you everything and and he's and he's really great at doing it. Uh, but you walk into his grows, everything is just so clean and beautiful. I Immaculate. mean as as a as an Instagram guy too, they take some of the coolest videos <laughs> on Instagram. I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, check them out the real NV, v I think is their at, at the yeah. real McCoy and v is their, is their Instagram handle. Um they're super cool. You're right, dude, they don't do a ton of great pictures. The place is super clean
2: shout out to uh chad's wife as well because she handles carissa, all that yeah. she kills it yeah she she kills it so good job carissa
1: yeah they're all in-house it's just another story that shows proof when you're when your moral compass is pointing the right direction things just, just happen you know so let's get into talking with cheddar stick around afterwards because we will have uh, some more information about what's going on uh you know so let's get into this is chad with the real mccoy We're sitting here with Chad McCoy from the real McCoy in Carson City, Nevada. We're super stoked to have him. We're going to be dealing, diving into his journey with cannabis here. Um, and, uh, you know, Chad, I just want you to uh, introduce yourself and, uh, you know, kind of start with just a little, how'd you get to where you're at now? Like, What's your history?
3: For sure. My name is uh, Chad McCoy. Uh, Currently, we're operating a cultivation facility in northern Nevada out of Carson City. Um, But I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on my initiation into cannabis cultivation. I grew up in the foothills of California, halfway between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe in Placerville. It was about the 2,000-foot elevation. And uh, my personal story as far as getting into cannabis use was... As a kid, I had severe allergies um, at that elevation for basically everything that grew in that region, so much so that I used to have to get weekly injections from the doctors to offset these allergic reactions I would have. Yeah, steroids
1: or something, right?
3: Exactly. In addition to that, I had asthma. So um, there was a lot of uh, things that were kind of bugging me in my head because I was getting these injections weekly and I would come home from school and I would remember passing out on the couch waking up for dinner, going to bed, repeat the next day, wake up, go to school. And so I was very active as a kid, you know, always into skateboarding. Uh, I've got a brother that's older by two years. We were always heavily into skateboarding. So these drugs were definitely, you know, uh, affecting my my lifestyle and my life as as a kid. And I'll never forget, it was a news story. Uh, Tom Brokaw brought up the potential use of cannabis for medical use. And I was watching this with my mom and I asked her, what do you think, mom? She said, well, if it works, that's great. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so that's where I picked up a, a copy of, I believe it was the Emperor's New Clothes, the first edition, which gave a history of cannabis and its benefits and uses and things like that. So I started using it, you know, at that elevation and that, that region, um, a lot of old schoolers were growing in those foothills. Um, and so, you know, there was the availability of quality product. And after using it, I, I saw my, my uh, you know, allergies lessen. I saw the asthma attacks go away. And it was just an eye opener for me that something could work so well. Um, so I started cultivation in 1988. Um, and after graduating high school in 90, moved up to South Lake Tahoe and brought everything indoors. And that's kind of where I first was introduced to Rockwell as a medium. And, you know, just trial and error and a little bit of research here and there. Um, you know, and then after a certain amount of time there in South Lake Tahoe, things became legal medically. My wife and I were licensed medically to grow in uh, California there. So, We were helping people that that were suffering from similar issues, medical issues. Um, My daughter uh, was born premature. She weighed one pound, 10 ounces when she was born and um, on oxygen for two years. Wow. So because of that that oxygen need or demand for her, my wife created a respiratory salve um, that included, you know, CBD at the time and basically was able to bring our daughter's oxygen saturation levels up where we could actually bring her home. They wouldn't allow us to leave the valley floor down here to come back up to Tahoe because of the elevation and lack of oxygen. So 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 you guys have had
1: all kinds of success with this. I mean, these are like the the miracle stories that you might hear once in a while and you have two of them. I mean, and probably more to go on. I mean, we all have a kind of a success story with it. Yeah.
3: The third leads us into how we got the building. So, Our now partner, uh, his wife, suffers from severe scoliosis. She was on 13 Oxycontins a day, sublingual morphine patches, um, just gnarly, gnarly, you know, pharmaceuticals to help her with her pain. And she was deteriorating rapidly. I mean, she stands all of four foot eight tall and, you know, was at about 100 pounds soaking wet. And. You know, through a friend of a friend, we reached out to her and said, hey, would you like to give this a shot to see if it could help? And, you know, God bless her. She cut the pharmaceuticals cold turkey for a year. Wow. And Carissa developed a topical pain cream for her. She was getting her RSO. So within that course of a year, she was able to switch over to an alternative that turned her life around and basically saved her life. So her husband, who is now our partner, reached out to us. He didn't know us from Adam. He had never been into our, our, our cultivations up there in South. Lake. All he saw was the change in quality of life for his wife and himself. Um, and he asked us, what do you guys want to do? And we said, well, we want to help people on a bigger scale. And that's the beginning of it. We said, let's go for it. So moving forward into the world of Nevada and cannabis, which, um, you know, my whole lifetime had seemed like, a, a yeah, right. That'll never happen because Nevada was very strict. Uh, very me.
1: strict, dude. I mean, you know, coming from the same area, you came around, dude, you, you didn't, you went across the state line. You were a little bit more worried about things because oh, yeah. uh, Nevada was much more strict.
3: Yeah. And of course Tahoe, I moved up to follow the snow. So we would make treks out to snowbird in utah and just driving through nevada just sweating bullets i remember (laughs) (laughs) not a good time Uh, but uh little days yeah so (laughs) moving forward um nevada opened up licensing application in 2016 we missed out on that round so the next opportunity for us was in 2018 and i mean they only gave out a few i think in that
1: first run anyway dude right and then like everybody in vegas i think uh, 90% of them or something, right?
3: Exactly. So keep in mind, there was only two times so far that Nevada opened up licensing. During those two times, they were each a two-week window to get your application submitted. Now, we're talking about corporate cannabis for the most part that have teams of lawyers that do this. Well, it was my wife wife and I, Carissa, that filled out this application. I'd come home every night from doing construction. We'd work till 12 o'clock at night to get this thing done on time and, 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 submitted. And so we did, and we were actually one of 4% to receive licensing for cultivation in the 2018 round wow. of, uh, of licensing um, acceptance. So we were very, very fortunate to be basically a little guy that had the opportunity to go pro. So,
1: yeah, yeah, no doubt. Cause it seems like that's a, that gets stifled pretty much in the business of, over in the Nevada area. I mean, like you said, I think they put a, a moratorium or something on new licensing or something for, and it hasn't lifted yet, you know, since 2018 yeah. or whatever, yeah. but it seemed like they were getting ready to let some more out or something. And then they, they, they yeah. put the quaff on them because it was, didn't seem very, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the up and up.
3: Yeah. I will give Nevada credit in how they did it as tough as it was. It's um, basically kept the, the market from blowing out like it has in several other states. Right. I mean, it's it's bad, as we know, in certain states, you know, and so therefore they matched cultivation licensing to storefronts and kind of made it make sense. And so we're very fortunate that we chose Nevada because we were looking at Cali, but um, Nevada was was uh, where we were led to and guided to. In uh,
1: Carson City, I'm sure it has a little less uh, expensive than California. I mean, as far as getting some good space.
3: Yeah, and still close to the lake. Um, and so, yeah. For you
1: guys that are listening, Lake Tahoe is what he's talking about. I'm not sure, you know, because I don't, I don't know who's all going to listen to this, Cheddar, but, uh, but you know, uh, he's talking about the foothills, he's talking about Lake Tahoe, he's talking about NorCal, um, you know, the, the, the Sierras up there, um, you know, and Reno, Nevada is just across the way, and, and Carson City is the, the capital of Nevada, which I bet 80% of the people who listen to this would not know that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they say Americans. To, <laughs> know you're Canadian. You don't count. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't okay, know. Cool. and even then, I would expect you not to know. But I'm talking about Americans, right, Chad? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. most people yeah. don't know this. They're like this. I thought it was Vegas or something, you know. And yes. then they think Reno is like a suburb of Vegas or something, dude. Exactly. But yeah, it's Northern Nevada. He is in a good area. He is just on the other side of the Sierras, and he said the lake. When we say the lake, dude, and, and this is another funny tidbit, bro, and I don't, you know, I, I will digress sometimes like this, but when I moved back to the Midwest after living in Lake Tahoe for 10 years, dude, I moved back to the Midwest for a little bit, and everybody there goes, what are you doing this weekend, man? Oh, we're heading to the lake. We're heading to the lake. We're heading to the lake. There's like 500 little ponds up there, dude. That are like lakes and stuff that everybody goes to, going to the lake. Yeah. And so my wife and I, because you know we say the lake, dude. There's only one, only yeah. one lake. <laughs> and uh, and when we, uh, my wife and I wanted to get shirts made that said what lake. <laughs> so they would say the name of the freaking lake out there, dude. It's crazy. So just in case anybody else wants to get familiar with where we're at, what we're talking about, if you are in, you know, the Midwest somewhere and you have tons of lakes around you, congrats. But we're in northern, he's in northern Nevada. Um, I'm just on the other side of the Sierras with from him in uh, in the Hopeful Hills still, so in Grass Valley. But, but yeah, he's talking about uh, the Lake Lake Tahoe, which is a beautiful <laughs> one. Of, if you guys haven't been there, it's probably one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And yeah, as Chad knows cool. and Riley's seen it now, uh, yeah, man, you get stuck there. Like you don't ever want to leave when you get there. You figure out ways to, you know, to live there. It's hard to get it's hard to get out of there once you get there. It's so amazing. It is. Sorry, now we're talking about. Your your partner, um, which is great, man. I think you have an awesome story. I didn't hear as many. I haven't heard as many of these uh, success stories like you like you have. Do I think we hit on them a little bit when we've been hanging out and stuff? But but it's super awesome because those are the kind of stories like mental health, uh, pain, all those things and stuff that you hear that could drive people. Instead of the dollar sign, is you know is 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 what we want to hear, man. Um, yeah. And then you were just about talking about your partner and, and stuff and how you, you helped his wife. And now you're you decided Carson City because because he he has ins there or something. You were just about getting to your uh, why. You, I mean, I understand that, that is a really good spot, and it ended up being great for you. But the you have ends with him as far as the building location and everything else too.
3: Yeah. So basically, when we submitted our application, we had to show where we were going to be potentially putting up this facility, and um, so instead of retrofitting an existing structure and kind of dealing with that nightmare, um, we Uh, And I mean, my partner and I, you know, Rick, basically, he is a developer down here in the Gardnerville area. I've been uh, in construction for 30 plus years. So both he and I were builders. So we said, look, let's pull the trigger and and build a facility from the ground up because we could save money. Legitimately, it was less to buy a piece of property and do the work ourselves than to try to retrofit and jump through the hoops and the hassles of of, you know, uh, retrofitting a building that was existing. Again, they're
1: signed off as far as commercial grade or whatever, all those uh, things that they get inspected.
3: Exactly. So we had to buy the piece of property before we even had the license. So we had to buy the property to put it on the license application to show where we were going to be doing this because obviously they have certain zoning restrictions. Uh, We had to be in an industrial part of Carson City. Um, So basically we had to pull the trigger on the piece of property before we even got licensing. So that was step one. Step two was getting the plans through plan check. So it took us seven months to get our plans approved through Carson City Building Department. It took us only six months to build the building. Um, And that's obviously. Did you have
1: huge. uh, (laughs) Some people struggled with. And I know you're building, you know, because you since you built it from ground up. Some people were struggling with, like, uh, one day they'd get somebody who said they had to inspect it, and the next day, like, the fire marshal said, oh, I need to inspect it now, and the next day. Like, were things, like, throwing curveballs at you during the building, like, in that sense? All day long. But or we was were, it pretty straightforward for you?
3: No, all day. We, we were used to that, though. Rick was used to that, being a developer, dealing with counties, and I was used to that, being a general contractor, dealing with the building department. And this, you got, you got to understand, I was building giant custom homes up in South Lake Tahoe, where not only do you have building departments, but you've got the Tahoe Regional Planning Association and all these other entities. And the
1: owner of the house who's probably a big pain in the butt too.
3: <laughs> so we were already versed in dealing with building departments, fire departments, and other entities. And it actually played into our favor because they had yet to see a group come in that was so open and willing to work with them and asking the right questions. And you know, every time we'd get a corrections list, cool you know, we'd go through and I, and I was became friends with the fire department. You know, it was just like, and we're still, um, it worked out so well that we had building departments from other counties and fire officials from other counties come through after we were done and do tours because we told the people we were working with here locally, look, we want to show people how to do this right and why we do what we do. So feel free to bring people in. So not only was it a win for us to befriend them from the get go, because we knew that's how you got to get this thing done, but then it played out into our favor to where we actually were doing them favors because now they were bringing other groups in and showing them, okay, this is an example of how to do it.
1: You guys have always been very open like that. And like Riley knows when he met you guys, like, like I think that's a, that's in your guys' DNA or something, you know, that's one of the reasons why you guys have such good success. It's just like, you know, you're like, Hey man, I'm not, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm willing to share to make everybody grow. Everybody's everybody wins when that, you know, like with that kind of attitude, having that, like, you know, just trying to help out everything I think is, uh, is, is like I said, it's more in your guys' DNA. It seems to be all over the place, you know, with you guys. And I think yeah. it's what makes, that's why we're here talking to you right now, dude. I mean, to be honest, it's why you, why you have such good success. I think being open like that and being like, you know, you know, your shit, you know, what's up and you're, you're willing to share and learn, you know, I yeah. think that's, that's huge, man.
3: Yeah, thanks. No, Kudos to you for that. Uh, big big part of it, you know, and just basically we started looking at things when we were doing the construction aspect of it before we even got up and running. And we're like, you know what? We really need to be thinking outside the box and do things the exact opposite or completely different of what everyone else before us was doing. So that was evident with the building and everything else moving forward, but it played into where we are right now. So um, – You know, fast forward with building the facility and getting it online, um, with all of our building experience, basically Carissa, my wife and I, designed this facility um, based off of, you know, just our environmental parameters, you know, temperature, humidity, uh, lighting, things like that. We did have one bit of help from Carissa's father, who's been a light source engineer for 40 plus years. So the design of the building really took shape off of the spacing of our fixtures in those grow rooms. So we did a bunch of research in proximity. And, you know, we're looking at uniformly lighting up an entire room versus row by row. So we dictated the spacing of our light fixtures, you know, to achieve that 95 to 98% uniformity. And then that gave us the footprint size of the room, the amount of plants that can go in each of the flowering rooms. Um, Our facility overall is about 12,000 square foot. We cycle through um, staggered harvests so that we can get multiple harvests you know, as sure. quickly as possible. So we've got three total of four flowering rooms, three large flowering rooms that are on uh, you know 10-week schedule. So we're harvesting every three and a half weeks, roughly.
1: You're talking about the—and and one thing I didn't want to leave hanging before we got too far along, because you show me the—I've seen that sample of your wall for a long time— And I just want the guys to know, like, what kind of how you built your walls there and stuff. Like you said, you built it around the flower rooms first and everything. And I think it's killer. But then you went out from there. And we were just talking earlier for you people that are listening. We were just talking about how how nice it is in his spot. Um, And 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 I want you to just speak about like your general, just real high level on the general construction because I know even just the walls. Like you said, you built it from the rooms out, but the walls are amazing. And and the, I mean, you have overbuilt this thing. Over engineered, I think. But you're also one of the guys who has like backups for this. Like you're smart, man. You have like hey, if this goes out, I can still run, right? Like yes. so, a lot of people don't even think about. It. Or if this crashes, I can still I can still produce uh, yeah. a lot until I get it fixed. You know, a lot of people don't have that backup, and they you know it's more uh, reactionary than than not. You know, so just hit yeah. on your. I mean, I love the, I love it when you get to show people the core sample of the wall. For sure. I don't think we can see it yeah. here. You know, so but talk about it,
3: please. So for those of you don't know too much about the region we're in. Um, it's a high desert climate, so it's dry AF in the middle of summer, and, winter, <laughs> and it's also hot AF in the middle of summer. You know, we're talking mid-90s for the most part, um, and then you come into the wintertime, and you get lows down in the, you know, upper 20s. So it's a big swing seasonally. So knowing that, we went for a insulated uh, exterior wall configuration, which consists of— um, these insulated foam forms that have a concrete interior. So the overall width of the exterior wall is about 11 inches. The interior core of concrete is six inches. So that leaves about two and three eighths on each side of that concrete of the foam form. Those forms were eight foot long by 18 inches tall, and they clicked together like Lego pieces. Every course you would run, you would run a piece of rebar in it. Our overall lid height was at 14 foot So we did half of the wall height, put it together, assembled it, cut out the doors, windows, and then poured it. Had a big boom truck pull up and the boom was able to reach around the entire facility and we had scaffolding set up with the brace. Where does this come from, man?
1: They use this technology somewhere else?
3: It was a Canadian company called New Dura that supplied the forms. And it's just strange, you know, like I said, I've been building in Tahoe for 28 years. And we never used this material. This building was the first time I built with it. The easiest thing I've ever worked with in my entire life. Just to give you an example of how quick it went up. We set the first seven foot height around the entire facility in three days. And it was me and three other dudes. And that's with cutting out the door jams and windows, you know, inserting the rebar. Took one day to pour it. And then we stacked another three days on the next level one day to pour it, and then we were rolling trusses um, across the top for the roof. So I, I just was like, "Man, it was just funny because this was my last building project, and here I am looking at this awesome material that would do so well in a climate." <laughs> so um, I
1: mean, you could uh, yeah, you could put a million pounds of snow on it. You could run yeah. it in the winters oh, yeah. forever. Like it seems pretty cool. That's why I was like, it, you know, obviously it's not super. Superly abundantly used around the United States. I don't run into a lot of places that use it and stuff, but it seems like, like you said, man, it's like building a house out of, out of stone and metal, you know, it's just, it's like perfectly square. Everything is insulated. It's just, it's really cool.
3: Yeah. So that gave us an R44 insulation value on the exterior wall. Um, The walls went down into the ground three feet below the slab. And the reason we did that is so that you didn't get any energy loss out of your slab. If you stopped those walls right at ground level, you would lose heat and cooling through that slab and it would dissipate right out that bottom footing. So by driving it down that extra three feet, that again added to the consistency in interior temperatures year round. Um, standard truss package, Um, so what that means it was just like basically how you build a traditional house
1: but you had a wall to walk on that was probably 18 inches thick or something right because usually you're walk, you're setting trusses you're walking on maybe if you're lucky it's like eight inches or something you had a nice platform to set those on up there huh exactly i've set trusses do it's the most scary thing on the planet and my boss is like you know this is years ago man when i was doing the tahoe construction line, you know they're like they're like come on man just don't sweat it. Just walk. And you're like, dude, it's 40 feet down and I'm walking on it. Six <laughs> inches of material. Like and try, you're yelling at me to nail trusses in like it can be hairbally, dude. So at least you probably had a pretty good platform up there to walk those trusses on. I'm sure.
3: Definitely. That interior peak up there is 10 feet. So we got a nice catwalk walkway up there in the attic. So um, did blow-in insulation upstairs two foot thick, which gave us an R70 insulation value up above. So this place is sound.
1: That's where you put your old grod in. See, you take your old grown in and you dry it out and you put it all up in your
3: attic. Exactly. For insulation, man. Add <laughs> to that value. So, so, so that was our exterior. And then designing the interior, like I was saying before, based on spacing of the lights, dictated size of the rooms. And basically, I did a lot of, you know, drawing in my construction world. Um, I also specialized in custom cabinetry. So it was similar to that in that you would get spec sheets for certain pieces of equipment. So when I was doing it for houses, you know, you're getting spec sheets for your refrigerator, your stove, your microwave, your dishwasher, and building cabinetry off of that. So it was all custom sized. So I took that um, skill that I had learned there when designing this facility and I was, you know, specking pieces of equipment that I'd never even seen before, let alone used and just getting their parameters and seeing how much clearance I needed around it. Bottom line: when we were done with this place, we only had to move one 12 twelve-foot wall in the mechanical area, right towards the end, to allow room for the pumps. And um, that took us fifteen minutes to move that wall, and that was it.
1: Wow! Yeah,
3: super stoked that we nailed it on on the design.
1: I've been there uh, several times now. It is super clean, really put together well. And then you've got some really cool stuff going on in the in the in the actual grow area and you were just talking about how you developed your grow rooms can you hit on like uh what made you choose the route you took with uh with your system and your layout and stuff i mean your hoog and i'm not sure if it's a you know everything man I mean, you got the super bomb ass chillers in the back dude and i mean your your mechanical room is off the chart so what made you choose that and how did you get down that road
3: well, I had a good friend of mine, Shane, out of Colorado that was doing consulting and build-outs, and he's the one that kind of opened my eyes to a, a different way of, of heating and cooling in that if you're trying to isolate rooms for cleanliness and sterility, a traditional HVAC system where you're moving hot and cold air into rooms, say, within your house or a commercial building, is to use ductwork and send hot and cold air to these rooms. So to eliminate the, the chance of dust or contaminants getting into those duct runs and getting into those rooms, we went with a style, um, basically utilizing uh, chillers and boilers to supply hot and cold water to fan coil units in the rooms. So a fan coil unit is basically a large radiator that you're passing liquid through and you're pulling the air across that. Um, that those fan coils also double as dehumidification. So they're able to send out that reclaimed water back out to the reservoirs in the hallway. So basically, by isolating those rooms was kind of a, a big step for cleanliness, in his, in conjunction with multiple rooms for staggered harvests. Um, so so how that works is um, basically we're sending hot and cold water to these fan coils, and um, you know people ask, well, why do you need hot water? And it's and you know obviously you got a lot of heat coming off of those lights. But in order to achieve the humidity levels you want and dehumidification, you need to be able to dry out the air. So floating mixing valves are used to implement hot water with that cold water to dry out the air in the rooms. Um, The chiller that we spec'd out is kind of a special piece of equipment. Um, It's a Tico Gen chiller. It's a 150 ton cooling capacity. So this thing is a beast. Um, It's natural gas fired. So knowing that we were going to have a pretty expensive electric bill with the lighting, we wanted to offset that with the chiller. So this chiller has a Chevy V8 sitting on top of it, running off. Gas. Yeah, that's cool. So this thing is like way oversized. And we did that for a reason with the whole building lit up the things running at maybe 30 to 40% capacity, just chugging along there. Um, you know, definitely giving us more than enough cooling power which allows me to really keep these rooms in spec. Um, One of the other pieces of equipment was the Hogan Dorn climate control. Um, They're a Dutch company. They've been climatizing greenhouses since the sixties. So they had a leg up on technology. And of course, once cultivation moved indoors here in the States, they took right, right in, right in with it. Um, Actually, this place being that it was new, Ogendorn was able to utilize some of the parameters that they were seeing to implement changes into their software. So um, it was it was awesome to, to get their system. The best part about it was that it tied into the mechanical side of things. You get a lot of these facilities that were, you know, utilizing consultants or so-called consultants that would spec out climate control systems that did not have the capability to tie in the mechanical. So they would get to a point of, of starting everything up and say, "Hey, what do I got to do to get this mechanical stuff on my my computer screen?" And of course, they would hire Hogan Dorn to come out and rewrite software for them. They did it for several other companies. So we we saved the money on building it and dumped the money into the chillers and these air handlers. Just
1: for the people listening, sorry, Chad, but uh, there's a ton of pictures of his place on on their Instagram at the Real McCoy NV. Uh. Check it out because you can see some of the things he's talking about on there. You can see some of the design stuff. You can see some of the room stuff. They do videos through their rooms. Their Instagram's really killer too. Shout out to Carissa for that, your marketing oh, yeah. manager.
3: She's our marketing um, know, I know you guys wear all kinds of hats there, but I'll give her that
1: one for now. Yeah. And it really does give you a glimpse into the facility. It's such an environmentally sound room uh you know that you feel like when you walk in there you can just tell man you know and so um so sorry yeah we're back on the hoogendorn i just want to tell you guys like you want to yep. go see it i'm looking at some pictures now while we're talking and there's like not only is there just pictures of his finished product on there but there's pictures of the, of the facility too and and yeah. all kinds of cool stuff that they have going on uh, but yeah so hoogendorn was killer they're dutch if you guys don't know Gronan comes from dutch too um you know well, we, we came from den from uh, denmark but we're based out of the netherlands now so we have a lot of dutch people there and the dutch people i think pretty much dominate the growing and greenhouse world you know i think they're yeah. they are the greatest you know greenhouse growers maybe yeah. not i think i think the united states is kicking their butts in cannabis it's just between me and you guys yeah you know? so but you know but compared to what it was like in the 80s or something as <laughs> i'm sure chad can relate to man you know like, used to yeah anyway uh so i think we're kicking their butts now but uh but yeah, so the Hugendorn came in, um, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's a it's a monitoring system. Um, you know, we we worked with them a little bit on some things, but but yeah, so that's where we're at. Where your Hugendorns there talk about. I mean, those those gutter. You have a gutter system. You irrigate like we were talking about earlier. You have open valves, floor flex caps. Um, you know, which is it's. You know, we talked about maybe you're changing some things or whatever. But I know you're always working on stuff, but like like can you speak to like I mean, you guys you made not a lot of people use gutters. They're still using trays and stuff and everything else, but. You couldn't find exactly what you needed, and you made what
3: you needed. Exactly. The reason we chose a gutter system was twofold. Um, one was knowing that you know after each round, of cleaning of the rooms and coming out of the garage where I would use trays. You know, the less surface area you have to clean, the better. That was number one. Number two was number one. Good. Gut was you know eight inches wide, and then there's a six inch cube in that gutter. So now I'm looking at just minimal cleaning of that gutter in between rounds, and then also airflow. So our gutters are suspended above the ground on stands that are leveled out to support a slight slope for drain to waste. Um, They sit about, you know, 30 to 32 inches off the ground. And that's another reason why that height is specific was obviously finished height of plant in conjunction with the lighting, with a 14-foot overall lid, and then also the ability to Deleaf and, you know, maintain cleanliness on the lower portions of those plants throughout their growth cycle puts that at, you know, an average person's, you know, perfect working height if you're standing. So that's right. why we suspended these at that elevation with the stands. And it also improved airflow coming from below. So basically our canopies are suspended in the, the middle of the room, so to speak. So you've got, you know, the most A a volume of airflow around your plants and your your rock wool for cooling. Um, Like Dave mentioned, uh, you know, our duct runs are 12-inch polyvinyl ducting that have perforated holes in them throughout. So they run along parallel with these gutters, a gutter on each side of a 12-inch ducting with holes punched in it. So that's allowing for cool air to hit the root zone. Once, you know, those plants are in flowering, Basically, those root zones are in the shade at that point, so that cool air right there is is pretty pretty intentional. And then also uh, the CO two delivery, we used a Biotherm CO two uh, device, which basically recovers CO two off of the exhaust of our boilers. So the hope and again, and deco- I don't think I think a lot
1: of people do that, or they try to, but they don't seem to have. Maybe they're not because they're not using boilers or pulling them off of ACs and stuff. But like it doesn't seem to be. You guys nailed it.
3: Yeah, if you're not using that system at this point or something similar, you're slipping because (laughs) going and getting tanks or running a natural gas line to a CO2 burner that's putting, you know, detrimental gassing and humidity spikes in the room, it's just that's an outdated way to supply CO2. So, again, you know, that's tied into the Hogan Dorn. I set my parameters um, for the environments room by room, week by week. And um, it just handles business and basically gives you everything you need without the headaches of, again, refilling tanks, things like that.
1: What got you to uh, using Stonewall then? I mean, did you use Stonewall when you, were, when you were doing it as a younger guy and then you started growing medical? Where did you start? Like, how'd you get, how'd you progress
3: to this? Once I moved to Tahoe in the 90s, that's when I started uh, running Rockwell because, of course, I moved inside um it seems and, about
1: the time that i think it was like in being like just start because it seems like about 98 or something it was like just really starting to becoming more abundantly used around like it, you were just starting like it seems like that was like the the beginning of using it in cannabis
3: and like you know 90 percent of the growers out there they try it all from cocoa to dirt to perlite to rock wool so uh, and i was that guy you know i was just always interested in always mixing it up and always trying something different but the wool was something that you know, was challenging. And it is for a lot of people because it's hard to understand how it works. But if you invest a small amount of time and, and kind of grasp the, the, the reason why Rockwell is so beneficial, I mean, it's just hands down for me, uh, one of the best mediums there is um, for several reasons. Cleanliness, sterility, Uh, I have a medium that's coming into my environment that's 100% clean, 100% neutral, ready to go. Um, Easy to work with, transplanting. We do one transplant from the inch-and-a-half cube as a clone into the six-inch cube, and that's it. We roll those six-inch cubes down the hallway to their flowering rooms. So moving plants from one room to the other, cleaning up, um, you know, basically we have 128 plants in each of those large flowering rooms, and when we go to flip a room it's a day and a half and we're up and running with the next round. It's very minimal, very easy to work with, very clean. Um, you know. And then once I learned how the rock wool works with dry back and water content and delivery of nutrient solution, um, it's just been amazing to have the control. So imagine you've got this facility now that we have set up and you have all this invested time and money in here. Well, if you can't control what's going on at your root zone, then, you know, you have the potential for a much larger scale failure. So for me, we came online and just started rolling right out of the gate because of my experience with Rockwell. And I knew basically where I needed to be for the parameters. And it was like being handed the keys to an F1 and going, okay, it's time to race. Exactly. I mean, I yeah. that for me. But now, I mean, we say
1: it all the time, Chatter. We, we, sorry, we say it all the time that we're like, like it's like, right? Uh, steering with Grodan is like driving a race car. Yeah. I always said, you know, if you, you can jump in the Ferrari right now, if there's one in my driveway, I could go jump in it and I might wreck it because it's kind of tricky and really hard to steer. And I have to get used to it for a while. And so I think Stonewall is just like that, too. You know, a lot of times people think it's, oh, I tried it. It was hard. It's like, it's like, man, you know, uh, if you can ha- use us, also, you know, there's also a ton of research like this podcast alone, just listening to this and all the things that Grodan, of course, does that I know Riley's happy we're talking about the, uh, you know, all the, all the stuff that we offer to help have you success, our our crop advisors, our e-grow or all those things, you know, if you're using all that, of course. Um, hopefully you can have some success with it, but in general, you know, like when I was growing it back in the day, dude, even like, as you know, man, we were experimenting with it and really like, I mean, if you keep the block wet, you might not get the most end result you want, but if you keep, you know, if you keep your block wet, you can grow cannabis in it. If you, you know, usually we figure out now we figure out ways to steer it so well, you know, I think compared to what we used to do Twenty-five years ago, and that's where this rock—that's where I think rock wool wins—is—is is the, the, the steerability. And you really hit on it too. The efficiency, man. Efficiency is number one. Steerability of the plant too. It's like driving a Ferrari. Like you said, hand me the keys to the F one, dude. Which is a really good yeah. uh, analogy too. But but yeah, and efficiency because of cleanliness, because like you said, moving because of the sterileness. Like all these extra things that you take out. You know, when you're using other substrates. Once again, I'm not bashing soil, but. It's, it's dirty, right? Yeah. You know, it's dirt, man. And so it's dirty and you got to clean out pots and you end up with dust everywhere and you end up like with trash and stuff. And like, so I, I, I enjoyed the clean, I enjoy the cleanliness part of it too. And then, yeah, man, hit on your gutters um, where you're at. I know you have the Hugendorn. Uh, let's talk about how you threw Egro into the mix and, uh, and how you steer, you know, where, where your practices are with that.
3: Yeah. So the last uh, comment I'll have on, on using Rockwell in a commercial facility 12,000 square foot facility. We have, uh, processing and production as well. So we do extraction, packaging, drying, curing. Um, you know, basically we run this entire facility with seven people. That's it. Um, I'm here every day growing. We do take, uh, you know, the weekends off. We'll stop in briefly on the weekends between me and one of my other guys just to put an eye on things. But, you know, it affords us the time uh, saving, you know, aspect of that rock wolf when you're flipping and dealing with it just in general.
1: That's a huge plus right there. As you know, most guys are pulling their hair out all day long. I mean, not even in, in a, like, and having access to the technology, of course, to maybe open it up on your phone. But like, like you know, people wake up every day at two o'clock in the morning because the lights turned on and they got to go check their plants because it's crazy, but that's awesome.
3: Yeah. So the gutter systems we were trying to initiate were um, a company that will go unnamed. And basically, you know, we were such a small facility, they were like, well, maybe we can tack on your order to another large run if we've got a large greenhouse in your area. Otherwise, you're going to have to get these lengths set up from from Europe and shipped to you. Basically, they're, you know, giving us a price quoting, you know, in the $40,000 range for these letters. And so we said, you know what, thanks, no Thanks. We went out and we got galvanized bottom channel steel framing material. So this is what you're going to find in buildings. Most commercial structures utilize steel framing. It's galvanized. Um, So basically it's an 8-inch width. It's got a 2-inch sidewall to it. And we bent these things into shape, you know, capped off the end, some silicone there, and the rigidity and everything was there, you know, obviously spacing out stands to accommodate the weight and give the slope. But um, So you've got an 8-inch wide channel. We ran a 2-by-6-inch piece of PVC that you can get at Home Depot. You'll see 90% of everyone's white picket fences are these Home Depot PVC 2-by-6 pieces that come 8-foot in length, which is easy to clean. So our, our, our plant and our blocks sit on that. So it's elevated up in those gutters so the runoff falls down an inch and a half, runs down, and drains. Um, so that's kind of our, our gutter setup, And, you know, that was pennies on the dollar for getting a company to do it. And I was able to do it within, you know, a week and a half time I was rolling.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Talk about steering a little bit, maybe throw a little bit, how you see grow to help steer or like, like where do you, you know, if somebody was growing cannabis right now, they'd be like, they'd be like, you know, I mean, sometimes we talk about drybacks and people don't even understand, you know, what that means and, and, and like how you're hitting later. Season dry backs or how you're hitting your water contents. Well, we talked a little bit earlier uh, about some changes you were trying to do, but like just in general, man, when you're, because I mean, you know, you have some really good practices there. And I think to, if you can just kind of hit your practices on a high level, I think that yeah. they'd really
3: like to hear that. So basically, coming into this facility, um, you know, like I said, most of my experience with Rockwell was just going through trial and error and figuring it out. Coming online here with the Hogan Dorn, they had obviously water content measuring sensors. Uh, an aqua balance scale, which also gave me a, a water content data point there. But I was looking for something that was just a little bit more fine tuned at that root zone. Um, so the Egro uh, with the six point sensor really gave me the next level of, of kind of my evolution of rock wool. So I wanted to see, you know, because it was very particular with the Hogendorn sensor, the elevation in the block that you had to get that one point kind of dialed in to be accurate. So that was a bit of a struggle. And then seeing the six point on the EGRO uh, just made sense. Um, You know, it was very easy to set up in conjunction with the Hogan Dorn. Everything comes across the same computer screen. Um, And basically what that allowed me to do was really start to evaluate my delivery of nutrient and water. So, With the open flow of two quarter inch lines per six inch block, utilizing a floor cap to deliver that water and nutrient solution, um, I was probably, you know, in the beginning there delivering more food and water than I needed to be. Even though the product was phenomenal and everything was good, I'm my own worst critic, so I wanted to continue and really dial it in.
1: Number one, number one thing everybody can probably do better at, and the number one thing people do wrong is overwatering. Yeah, you know, like that's the biggest thing. Like, I think you could pick any substrate in that world. For yeah. some reason, we feel like you know, oh my plants, I have to take such good care of them. I have to give them all this, and I'm not, you know, saying you, but I mean, like me and yeah. my freaking garden, even outside, bro. It's yeah. like, uh, it's like, oh my plants, they look hurt. I better give them all this water and it's like
3: well sometimes
1: maybe less water is better you know
3: exactly and that's where the dryback comes into play so running with the basic parameters is a starting point for the low end of water content on your block six inch you know you're targeting 30 35 percent high end you're targeting 60 65 percent so there's a lot that goes on in between those content levels throughout the day and week by week with your flowering process So for steering, you know, obviously a lot of people that have have heard the term have done a little bit of research. You know, you're you're steering a crop. You're basically manipulating the growth pattern or phase via the volume of water and or food delivered at any specific time during any specific week. So for those phases, you're looking at a generative phase and a vegetative phase correct is that is that right the generative for yeah, that's what we
1: call it at least generative and vegetative and and really i think like people are always like it's it's vegetative or flowering and, and you know they assume vegetative is 24 hours of light and flowering we flip it right and so what yeah. they kind of think of, but when you talk about vegetative and generative we talk about uh keeping you know vegetative is leaves and stems and we're growing leaves and stems generative we're focusing on the fruit and the fruit here is our flower and on cannabis right and so so generative is when we, we we switch it and you can switch it while you're thinking people don't understand is we're steering this plant while it has nothing to do with the light Yeah, you know, there's many ways you can, and i digress but there's many ways you can steer the plant one of them of course is light cycle the other one of course is like nutrients one of them is environment And the other one is, you know, from the root zone. We can steer from the root zone. So there's a lot of different ways to steer it. But you're right, man, vegetative versus generative. um, You know, like he was saying, you know, when we hit those big dry backs or, you know, maybe there's certain points during during your cycle that your uh, plant may call for it to go from generative to vegetative. You know, there's sometimes... I can't say it's a, it's a general rule for every plant, but in general, you know, people, you start vegetative, you get that plant good and strong, and then you'll flip it back to generative, maybe, and then maybe a vegetative cue once in a while in there or something if you're into it, but then you're generative from there on out, focusing yeah. on the flower, which is uh, the goods.
3: Yeah, like you were saying, you know, the multiple points of, of, of steering a crop with all those uh, uh, external parameters, basically, you know, steering with your nutrient and water solution just gives you one more point to, um, you know, implement a, a specific uh, a change or a, a trigger point for cannabis. So for us, the first couple weeks, two to three weeks there, you're trying to get that plant to say, hey, you're starting to produce fruits and flowers, so you want to set your brackets, you want to get your, your nodes spacing tight as possible for that eventual cola that's coming down the road. So, um, you know, with that generative steering you're basically uh, lessening the water content and you're increasing the ec or you know nutrient level to kind of additionally trigger those points and then once you get going into the middle of your flowering cycle the vegetative even though you're not thinking vegetating you know growing more leaves and stems you are adding bulk to those flowers and it's slight swelling them up Yeah, it's not a a vegetative like you were talking about where, oh, I'm going to grow moms 10 feet tall. It's it's slow, but it is a trigger point just like the amount of light that's on or off in a room triggers fruiting or flowering or vegetative growth.
1: And you're looking at that when uh, – sorry, you're looking at that when things are are just getting – like the nodes are getting established. You see those things and you're like, okay – now I want those nodes to set a little bit better, so you might give it a little more of a vegetative cue in that world. Is that like really
3: exactly sound so, right? If, for yeah, example, cool. if you've got our uh, Instagram page up there, um, go ahead and look at one of the last posts there, which is um, a flower room with our team um, standing in and amidst it. So let me know when you get that up there. Right there, that's I, I just saw, and I just
1: saw it actually before.
3: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> there it is. I just saw it uh, when I was looking at your stuff earlier. So that's week four of flowering. And that's what steering does to initiate those flower sets and really get them moving prior to getting into the next, you know, few weeks of, of the vegetative steering. So those flowers are that big and that's after four weeks of flowering. So now we're going to pack on weight and grow those things sideways by, by implementing a little bit more water, um, a little bit uh, 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 less dryback in between irrigation. So we talk about dryback a lot as far as a, parameter overnight you know you want to dry back so that the next day before they start to initiate a feeding they're reaching the roots are continuing to expand you're transpiring what's left in those blocks so those interval drybacks are important because that also gives you yet another step of control so when you know you're you're going for setting those buds uh, in, in the first few weeks there not only are you running less water and, um, you know, more food, um, and you're drying back more overnight, but those intervals you're drawing back more as well. So just kind of a round number there, um, for generative growth, you know, I'm targeting like a six to 8% dry back between feeds so that every time you yeah. feed, you're bringing that plant water and nutrient solution. Also, by the way, because of gravity, you're drawing oxygen into those blocks. Very important. Uh, you know, when you were talking about overwatering, that's kind of one of the biggest factors is you're drowning out your plants if you are keeping those things soaked. So on that. Yeah, interrupt- no room for air, oxygen in there. Yeah. yeah. Right. So those interval drybacks are just as crucial for triggering uh, those, those specific phases of growth. Um, so, yeah, six to eight percent, you know, um, 30 on the low end when you come in the next day you're trying to target 30% roughly water content at that block. And then you're trying to reach a peak of around 60. Uh, the other thing you're trying to achieve is a runoff so that you're actually flushing that block every day. How did you
1: know your water content and your EC and stuff back in the day? Like before you had root zone monitoring and stuff. Cause I, cause I, I was blown away when I had something to plug into the, into the block and see the water content and EC and stuff. I was like, Oh, this is, my eyes are opened, you know, it's yeah. like, 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 how did you do it back before this? Uh, literally, I literally And I know you embrace technology and you, yeah. you embrace change and you use it well. Like, like, but yeah, like how did, how did you, how did you do it back then? Cause it was crazy. Back
3: yeah. Literally for me, it was picking up blocks and feeling how heavy they were. And then it was taking yeah. a simple handheld probe, testing my, my nutrients for, you know, EC and pH. And then I had a five gallon bucket on the drain that would collect runoff. So I was I was checking runoff and supply and doing the math, and seeing what was there at the root zone. So it was all by feel. Um, and sure enough, once I got here, you know, after all those years of doing it by feel, um, I'm starting to get real data. And the numbers were like so close to being where they needed to <laughs> be. It blew my mind. Like, well, obviously you can look at a plant. It's going to tell you if it's loving it or not. You know, that's the result. But to not know any of that data until this facility after growing for 30 plus years was just my next plateau, you know? And so. Yeah, no,
1: I think that's key, man. Like a lot of people think that where data is, you know, or technology is going to take the grower out of the picture, man. And I think it just makes you better and it gives yeah. you like more resources to do even better. And that's killer. Cause you're right. Dude, like everybody just holds the plan or looks at, or, you know, somebody might've even weighed it on some kind of scale back then to see yeah. how it changed overnight, you know, or something. But but, yeah, what an eye-opener. It puts that data, it puts quantifiable data, like, like at your fingertips. And, it, and, it, and like you said, dude, it shows your uh, program and then whether it was good, whether you needed to turn the screws on where you were at. It sounds like you were pretty close, but, like, like you know, it actually gives you a way to, I, I almost say, like, you know, like it shows your sweat equity, it shows your, your how how good you are. You know, actually, you know, when you see that thing, you can put it in there and you can see, or, or maybe you can see where you could be a, a tad bit more efficient here and there or, or whatever it is. But, uh, but having actual data and uh, you know, the, the charts and the pie graphs and stuff. well I mean, it really helps.
3: I mean, I instantly saw a change and obviously it had to do with the entire facility itself, but um, you know, cause I brought down, um, you know, the strains that a lot of them that we currently have now were ones that I were running in the past. So I did see increases in turbine profiles, total potential, um, THC levels, all of that jumped dramatically once I started to implement a little bit more fine tuning. So even though I was happy with where I was at now, it's just, man, just swinging for the fences every day I go to work, but I still yeah. do go into those rooms. And after a morning check-in on my data, I'll go in and do the same physical check I've done my whole life. Um, pick them up, look at them, check them out, up and down every row, inspection, like just really, verifying again with what i have learned in the past with what i'm learning now so uh, yeah you can't take
1: out observation man i think that's still the biggest part of this growing is you got to observe your plants right. you got to look at them you got to know them you got to see what's up with them yeah no matter what kind of technology you plug into it man if you're not up you're not able to observe i think you're missing a big the big part of it you got to observe man.
3: exactly so the more points of observation you have from your reservoir to your runoff to your root zone um you're you know you're just going to be really fine tuning your craft and uh, it shows in the product every harvest you know every 3 weeks i'm seeing you know smaller steps forward with the quality and and potency levels and production and volume and it's all, it's all moving forward still and that rolls us
1: pretty much right into what i was going to going to kind of talk about next just just in general um you know, where, where you're at now and like, what you're, what you're like, what's going on with the real McCoy at the present time? Like, how are you? uh, um, You know, I I know you have some, uh, some collabs you're working on. I know your brand is really out there. Like, like how, how's uh where are you guys at 2022?
3: Well, it's interesting. So we started the build, you know, in the time at the beginning of when the sky was falling for the last two and a half years or so. (laughs) But um, again, never looking at what others are doing, always looking at what we want to do. Um, from day one, you know, we have spent not one dime on marketing. We went to a marketing firm and got a bid before we got started. And of course, they throw you the package of, oh, we'll get you a catchy name that's just like everybody else's. And we'll get you a social media presence that's awesome, blah, 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 to the tune of, you know, 60 to 80 grand. We're like, oh, okay, that's good to know. Thank you so much for your time. Walked out of that room (laughs) and said, okay, we're doing this on our own. And so with that Instagram presence, I attribute that all to Carissa, you know, we're right now about 35,000 followers and every bit of our social media is done and edited by her. Um, And it's been a way and a tool for us to reach out to dispensaries and storefronts. We don't have a dispensary license cultivation only. So people started to take notice. Um, You know, we would reach out and get no response when you're trying to reach out to find contact info for a purchaser. But then all of a sudden, you you know, we were really starting to do tours of our facility in northern Nevada with the local dispensary bud tenders and purchasers. And that's what opened people's eyes. They saw our facility. They saw the gear that we had in here, and they were just like, Dang, the first group that came in here that gave us a chance was Sierra Well. Um, and yeah, yeah. straight up after doing a tour, we'll buy everything you got. And so that they gave us the put in the door. And then from there, it just started to snowball with the rest of northern Nevada. Um, you know, we went exclusive with them for a bit of time. And then we started to get enough product where we needed to branch out to more storefronts and started bringing more people in. And as soon as they saw this facility every single time, it was a no-brainer for them to at least give us a shot. So now branching out to the other part of the state of Nevada, which is Vegas, which is the bulk of storefronts and uh, dispensaries. Everything in Nevada. Yeah, <laughs> everything in Nevada. This is just the best part of this. So The Real McCoy is our brand, and that's my last name, me and Carissa. You know, we're, we are The Real McCoys. So, again, this goes back <laughs> to that um, – that marketing firm you know you you try to look up names that aren't already taken and anything that has to do with green cannabis the sierras everything taken up and i'm like look guys we're fighting this And, and it's funny i had to win over the rest of the crew but i'm all the real mccoy it's something that people are familiar with as far as like kind of they've heard that before and it kind of lends itself to okay that's the real deal or it's you know of quality well sure as shit We get going down the road and we start, you know, trademarking all of our our branding and everything else and the real McCoy. And everyone's just super pumped on that name. Mm -hmm. And then, so now we're getting all of these dispensaries from Vegas that are seeing our online presence. Now we're getting purchasers hitting us up on Instagram and saying, hey, who do I talk to about getting some of your flowers? So a majority of our storefronts were done that route. One of those storefronts was the source. Um, awesome people to work with. They've got multiple storefronts across Vegas and here in Northern Nevada. They also own a cultivation license as well. And they also have another brand called camp, which is their high end, um, concentrate line. So Aaron Nino is the guy from camp and the source that was one of those groups that, that he was the first one to come from Vegas to do a tour of our facility when we were reaching out to sell flour. And he saw the strains we had, he saw our passion, and he saw the facility and was just like, dang, okay, we're gonna get you in the source. And then weeks later, you know, he said, hey, we are doing these hash rosin disposable cartridges. So basically they're, you know, doing the ice water hash extraction, doing it into the rosin press, and then getting into it a disposable cartridge, which uh, was phenomenal for flavor and quality. He said, Look, we want to yeah. do a collaboration with you guys. I know your genetics and I know 90% of what you have is going to wash good. We said, Great, send it. So we sent him, you know, started sending him our strains to see which ones we were going to get on this menu, the ones that were going to wash well. And we started hitting it out of the park. They were seeing potency levels and returns that they had never even seen out of their own cultivation. Yeah.
1: So that's well, and that flower looks and, and the appeal of the flower, the the bag appeal, whatever you call it, is yeah. uh, is impressive. You know, I know that's yeah. a big part of it too.
3: And we're sending them trim, you know, and trim for us is like barely any leaf in it. We don't count water leaf as trim. Like it's the close trimmings and small buds, even that aren't desirable for packaging. So our trim that we're right. sending in was testing in mid twenties for total potential. So we were already like swinging pretty hard for the fences with that. And then he goes and and concentrates it in the the terpene profiles, you know, being upwards of 50, 60 milligrams per gram, potency levels, 78 to 88% total potential. These were all numbers in the hash rods and disposables that were just phenomenal. And we can't even hardly keep them on the shelves. So there are, yeah, they're definitely one of the tightest groups that we work with. And, um, you know, so that's, that's kind of the latest thing that we had going in the mix um, aside from that it's just you know working with breeders to continually uh you know get more strains rolling through for more variety and again just there's so, so much what's the what's
1: the future then look like besides finding the the next hot hot strain because i mean you guys are also i mean i don't know it seems like some of the stuff you're growing is definitely uh you know it's like the that stuff that everybody wants right like you're like yeah like the Hans solar burger you know and that, stuff like that like it's like it's like you know, like right on the top still of the market of what everybody wants. But like, like besides the strains and stuff, do you guys, what's, what's the future of Real McCoy? Are you guys uh, keep expanding, keep cruising for a while? Or are you looking at like, uh, I know this, this Vegas connection is going to be huge, but yeah. what are, what's your, what's the future look like for you guys a little bit?
3: Well, right now we're sitting good with um, supply and demand for our output. You know, um, we're roughly uh, supplying a hundred pounds per month across several different storefronts between Northern and, in Southern Nevada, but we also got to factor in, you know, the rest of the world, which is the economic sky is falling, uh, depending on what channel you look at on your television. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, so to see us keep heading in the right direction during, you know, typical hard times where people are spending less money. Um, I think that's just because we're the qualities there. Um, the, the genetics are there. And our lower volume is, is able to help us support, you know, a large variety of storefronts out of such a small volume monthly on that weight. So that's where we're still doing well. So for us, uh, expansion-wise, you know, our partner is also a um, very smart businessman. He got to where he was being, being smart with money and self-made. Um, so he's teaching us the same thing. So what we're doing right now is just paying this building off. Um, we're getting very close to no. we don't, you know, we're just paying back our partner, Rick. We don't owe money to anybody else or any other entities. Um, everything we have here, we own. So that's, that's our goal. Get this place squared away. Um, we're rapidly approaching that. So it's awesome. So once that, yeah, that's hits, awesome. Once that hits, you know, we got a piece of property right next door that we've already been promised by the guy that owns it. Um, he'll subdivide it and, uh, loves what we're doing and loves what we're all about. So we're already poised to throw up another facility, whether it be a greenhouse um, or another, you know, full-on interior building. Um, you know, that's still kind of up in the air for design and, and discussion. But um, yeah, definitely going to keep growing.
1: You know, you're right, man, and you're not that far from the California state line, and not that unfamiliar with what's. I mean, right across the state line, man, it's it's doom and gloom. You know, I mean, I know the uh, you know, over here, the market is, is, uh, up and down, up and down and, you know, and it's like you said, the, the sky is falling and stuff. So, so it's very sound, you know, when you talk about it, dude, I think like your the business model and everything speaks for itself. And that's, I think, you know, like you said, you do the tours, you do the things you do the, you know, you, like the, the, the energy in general, you know, is positive. And I think that helps you guys be more positive in general, you know, like the business is doing well and stuff. It's a cool business. You guys are all cool people. And I'm sure that the success comes, you know, comes from that, dude. You know, I mean, you know, there's, you guys grow great cannabis, but like, like you guys are super cool and super open. And we really, we really appreciate that here at Grodan for sure.
3: I was going to say, I think, you know, one of the, the things that we wanted to keep in our focus was the reality that we were a little guy that, that went pro, right? So that kind of guided our thought. And it, I, I liken this to the alcohol industry and and let's just take, um, you know, beer, for example. I look at like what Sierra Nevada Brewing Company did when it started out in Chico, California. It's the same thing. I'm a little guy that got out of my garage and came into a, a, a bigger building, but I don't want to be, you know, Budweiser. I want to be what Sierra Nevada was when they started. So it's just kind of following that same line. I'm taking what, you know, the, the quality and everything else, keep my arms around the consistency and, and, and moving it up into just a slightly larger scale and, and that's what's going to keep keep the ball rolling. I, you can already see it. And it's just so funny how rare it is that people look at the past and use it to model what they want to do in the future. And it's like if you take the time, <laughs> deal, you'll find your line. I don't care what you're doing. but um, And so that's that's held true. And I appreciate your, your compliments because that's what's... What's, what's basically running our branding is everyone's taking note that we're the little guy, but our quality is there and, and the products are stunning.
1: All right, man. Wow, what a great uh, conversation with Cheddar, my boy at The Real McCoy. Uh, Yeah, man, you know, it's just really such a cool story. Like I think we were getting into when we were talking about before the interview. Everything just kind of fell into place for him, you know, like, you know, they all had issues. And so they're advocates for cannabis use, you know, I mean, I think I think the more people tell their story about that kind of stuff, you know, the more the stigma gets dropped anyway. You know, the more we can say things like, you know, using it for mental health, using it for pain relief or however, you know, these people are using it for medicine more than just uh, obsessive overuse, you know, for, you know their own you know personal reasons but uh but these are good success stories and you don't hear them so much so and so often so it's just awesome to have them on there i can't wait to, to get them on you know again here i think in the in the future you know we maybe we can get the whole family on you know get chris on there too and
2: yeah that was i was just th- i was just thinking that i would love to have her on as well yeah um and just uh and just hear because she probably have a different uh, perspective on it too as well too right from yeah. Her side, so I'd, I'd enjoy that.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, so anyway, make sure you guys check out our next episode, uh, Riley. What, what am I totally leaving out?
2: We always like to say the grow show. You can use that hashtag #GrowDay101 and our favorite grow nerds. Grow
1: nerds, uh, that's us. We are the grow nerds. Yeah. We are uh, the guys that like to like to nerd out on on growing stuff. So
2: big time, that's big who time. we're trying
1: to pitch this to. But Riley, anything else before we get out of here?
2: Yeah, just for anybody listening, if you're if you're someone out there that would like to be on the show and you wanna you wanna hit me up, just hit me up on Instagram or Dave. You know, you can always hit any of us up and just let us know. Hey, I want to be on the show.
1: I know we know, it's mate. My Instagram is at Grow Yeah, let them know. It's G-R-O-D-A underscore V-E, I think. So it's uh, at Grow Dave, G-R-O Dave. You'll see me on there. Um, lots of Grodin stuff if you're in the right one. Yeah. So anyway, cool. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, check us out next time. The Grow Show uh, with Riley and Dave brought to you by Grodin. Anyway, till next time. Uh, cheers.
2: Cheers.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Grow Dan Grow Show podcast today. As always, we want to thank our amazing guests and you, the fans, for making this show possible. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment below. We look forward to hearing from you. For more information on our products and crop advice, head to growdan101.com and follow at growdan101 on social media for the latest updates, giveaways, and more. Until next time, never stop growing.